When you look at the Christian faith, it is like the cornerstone. It is like the thing on which that holds all everything else together is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's pivotal. It's important. It is key to our faith. It's not just mystery and some sort of like maybe or did he or was it a ghost or whatever, you know, that they saw. It, it was him in the flesh in a resurrected body. And because he did that, Everything that's in our Bible, everything that we read in the Gospels is now true, it is now valid, and something that we can put our faith on. Ladies and gentlemen, our faith is not based on mysteries or imaginations or anything. It's, raised, it's based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we can be confident in our faith. Amen? Amen. Can you say it again? He is risen. He is risen. Awesome. There was a church in a city called Corinth back in the Bible days. And um, they, were, they were really struggling as a church with this whole idea that a man could have risen from the dead. They, they, they believed like a lot of the gospel and a lot of what Jesus taught, like he was a good man and they believed he did the miracles and stuff. But when it came to this resurrection, they really struggled. Some of them were said, no, I think it was I think they saw a ghost, like it, maybe it wasn't really him, maybe it was just like this apparition, you know, um, and, and, or, and or maybe, you know, it was, it was like a vision, that they saw like a vision, and so this church in Corinth, they were really struggling, and the Apostle Paul heard about this church that he had actually started with his disciples, he heard that they were struggling with this idea that a man could rise from the dead, and so he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians uh, this letter, and, and in 1 Corinthians 15, he outlines just how important the resurrection is and how real it really was to them. And it's a beautiful chapter. We don't have time to get into it this morning. It's a poetic chapter, but in it, he, he states so clearly, and he says to them, guys, listen, I know you're struggling with this, but try and think of it this way. When you plant something and it's going to grow in your garden, what you plant is not what is reaped later. You plant a seed and it looks small, it looks insignificant, it looks whatever, and then when it's planted in the ground, it dies in the ground, and then it comes forth in this incredible whatever it is, apple tree, banana thing, palm tree, oak tree, whatever. You know, the, the seed and the thing that comes afterwards is like, what, how did that happen? And he says, so it is with the resurrection from the dead. It's the same thing we, with this body that we have will one day be planted in the earth and we will die and, th and then we will be raised to life again. And he said the body that's sown is sown perishable, but when it's raised, it's raised imperishable. He said when it's sown, it's sown in, uh, in weakness and infirmity, but when it's raised, it's raised in strength and endued with power. It's sown in, in dishonor and humiliation, but it's raised in honor and glory. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a supernatural body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What we see in Jesus Christ is not only just for him, it's for you and I today. And he goes on in chapter 15 and he says, guys, if Jesus did not, if, if the resurrection of the dead is not true, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead and you and I were dead in our sins and our faith is useless. And he goes on to say that not only is our faith useless, but we are to be most pitied of all people. 
And he explains to them why. He says, every day my life is in danger. I'm going to the ends of the earth. I'm preaching this gospel before people who don't want to hear it. I'm sowing my life in all sorts of turmoil. I'm going, I'm giving everything I have for this gospel. And he says, why am I doing that? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat. Let us drink. Let us be merry because tomorrow we may die. Amen. But then he goes on and says, but the dead are raised. And because of that, nothing that we do for Christ is in vain. And he says those famous words, oh, death, where is, oh, death, where is your victory? It is gone. That's what Jesus did at the cross for you and I. And shame, those, that poor church, they didn't have the benefit of cinematography like we have to today. And I don't know if you've seen the movie Risen. How many of you have seen the movie Risen? Yeah. Okay, great. Not many of you. Okay. Please, if you're going to go do anything today, go hire the movie Risen. It is an incredible movie about the resurrection of Jesus. And it tells the story of a Roman soldier who was ordered to, 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 to guard the, 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 the tomb where Jesus was laid. And then when the, the tomb was open, he was ordered to go and find the body and investigate where the body was. And so he launches this, not a believer, he invo- launches this, in- this investigation to find out where this body is. He investigates everybody in the movie. And then he actually comes to a moment where he sees the resurrected Christ. And it's a beautiful moment. And I want us just to, to watch that short video clip this morning so that we can just soak in this moment so that we can just kind of relive it from from somebody who also just could not understand that he saw Jesus die on the cross. He he was the one who ordered the spear into his side that proved that he was dead. How could this guy be alive? He couldn't battle with it. So we, we just let's watch that moment. Thank you, Avi. Turn the cap. Sir? Tribune! Stand down. Look for me shortly. Tribune! Sir, we are close! I can feel it! I don't need you for this. I don't need you.
Welcome, Clavis. Come join us, brother. There are no enemies here. Thomas. Lord Thomas, where have you been? <laughs> Who's gonna go watch the movie now? Looks good, eh? You just like, should we just let it play? <laughs> uh, might do a better job than I could this morning, I think. Um, Jesus spoke many times in his ministry, and he said, "I will rise from the dead." He said, just as uh, the, the prophet Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days, and then he'll rise again. When the Pharisees kept questioning, he said to them, destroy this temple, and three days later, I will raise it again. He was speaking about the temple, which it was his body. And, and many other times he spoke about it. Many other times he mentioned that he would rise from the dead. And then he actually did it. And a lot of people wonder what, you know, what happened between, what happened in those three days? What, what was actually going on? Well, the wonderful thing is that it's all over scripture. It's, it's explained to us what actually happened. The Bible says that Jesus actually went to hell. Some people are like, oh, can you say that? Yes. The fact that he ascended means that he first descended. He went to hell. The Bible says that before Christ's time, all, no one could enter the presence of God. No one could enter into heaven. And so everyone was kept in the earth. That's what the Bible says. And there was two places. There was a place of torment and there was a place called Abraham's bosom. And everyone who put their faith in Jesus in the Old Testament went to a place called Abraham's bosom. And the Bible says that Jesus went down to death and Hades and he got the keys of death and Hades and he released the Old Testament saints from that place. And then he, then he ascended into the heavens with all of them. Can you imagine that? The Bible says as, as, they, as Jesus was rising from the dead when he was coming up, in Matthew, the gospel records that many of the Old Testament saints were seen in Jerusalem. They were just checking out their neighborhood and what had changed since they had left, you know. Many people saw these Old Testament saints walking around. I mean, can you imagine being there in those times? 
all these amazing things happening. They were seeing these things. What was happening? It was on their way up. You know, they were just stopping and checking out their old hood. <laughs> seeing who was there. This is my house. This used to be my house, you know. Going up to their heavenly home. Then, then the Bible, there's this, there's this wonderful prophetic psalm, Psalm 24, verse 7, where it talks about how Jesus went as a king of glory to heaven with all these people. And there's this, this, this shout that, can you imagine, can you imagine that the heavens were locked before, that mankind, because of sin, we were trapped, we weren't able to get into the presence, we weren't able to get into heaven. How could sinful man stand before righteous God? But because of what Jesus achieved on the cross, and because of the sacrifice of His blood, we can be forgiven our sins, those scarlet can be as white as snow, God can throw them as far as the east is from the west and remember them no more, somebody say amen, and and we can enter into relationship with God. And so he goes and he arrives. And in my imagination, I see the heavenly Jerusalem with all its beautiful gates barred and locked. Mankind cannot get in here. And there comes the captain of our salvation, Jesus, the chief, the high priest. All right, our, our high priest. He is the, the victorious king. He arrives there. And in Psalm 24, there's this, 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 like this cry or shout that comes where it says, lift up your heads. Oh, ye gates, and be lifted up, you age-abiding doors. Why? That the King of glory may come in. And then there's this cry, who is the King of glory? And I can imagine all, everybody else shouting out, Jesus, He is the King of glory. He is the Lord, the Lord, mighty and strong in battle. And the gates open up, and Jesus enters in, and He goes to the most holy of the holies, and He puts His blood in the temple. And once and for all, sin is the sacrifice for sin is satisfied, and everybody enters into glory with Him. The Bible says that to be away from the body is to be present with God. So now you and I have access, and that's our home because of what Jesus has done. That's all tied up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, every, that's everything there. Is, it's, if, we, if that's not there, then we are to be pitied. Guys, let's go to the beach and let's eat and drink because tomorrow we may die. You know, like, come on, what all this effort for what? He rose from the dead. There's one aspect to this this morning that I want us just to focus on. There's one key part in that scripture that'll, that'll come up on AV uh, in, of that Psalm 24. Just one part of it that I want us just to put the magnifying glass on this morning. One little aspect to it that we so often kind of breeze over. Some, just a little part of it that we, that we often miss because we see this word so often in scripture. That's not the one. Um, Psalm 24, have you got Psalm 24 there? No, okay, I apologize. Maybe you, you could look at it in your Bible, Psalm 24. But if you can't see it, then just trust me that I'm, I'm going to say it. It says, who then is this king of glory? Who then is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty in battle. It's a little word that we so often miss, and we see it so often in Scripture. It's the word king. We sang two songs this morning about the kingship of Jesus. We sang that He is the King of kings. And then we sang that song, Lift up your heads, O you gates, that the King of glory may come in. So often we, we see this word tied to the name of Jesus and it just becomes another word that we forget the impact of this word and what this word requires of us. 
It's the word king. You know, we live in a democracy today and we have democratic governments everywhere. We don't live under monarchies. And so this word is a bit strange to us. It's a bit foreign to us. We don't really understand it. We kind of just throw it out there, king of kings, lord of lords. We sing about it, but we don't really, really grasp the meaning of this. And it's this aspect that I want us to, to just kind of ponder a little bit more this morning, ponder a little bit deeper, that Jesus is king. He is a victorious king. When the three, When he was born... The three wise men came looking for the king who was born to the Jews. That's why they went to Herod's palace. Because they were looking for a king. Because he was announced as a king. That a king would come. The prophets foretold that that God would send a king one day. And that he would rule. And so that's what the three wise men came looking for. When Jesus was standing in his trial and before Pilate, Pilate asked him directly and said, are you a king? And Jesus' response, nah, not me, champ. You know, I'm just, I'm just a religious leader. I'm a good man. And, you know, I'm just kind of like, you know, like one of these prophets, you know, like just, I say good stuff. No, he said, I am a king. You say correctly, I'm a king. And my kingdom is not from here. Otherwise, my subjects would be fighting for this not to be happening. I am a king. And my kingdom is not from here. He never denied it. And then he was crucified, what? As king of the Jews. And thereafter, you see him raised as the king of glory in this Psalm 24. He's raised as a king of glory and he enters into heaven as the king of glory. And the Bible says that he sits down at the right hand of God the Almighty to rule and reign until all his enemies are put under his feet. We see him sitting in kingship, in authority, in rulership, in might and in power. That's where he is. And then the disciples, when they go out and they proclaim Jesus amongst the nations, guess what they proclaim him as? Acts chapter 17 says they proclaimed him as king. And they, 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 they were accused of turning the world upside down because they were saying there is another king. It's not only Caesar, there is a king called Jesus. And everybody was like, wow, oh, you can't say that. There's only one king and the king is Caesar, you know. And so they turned the political climate upside down. Why? Because they proclaimed him as Not as a prophet, not as a religious leader, not as just a good teacher, not as someone, although he was all of that, amen? But they proclaimed him as he is right now. He's king. Right now. What's the date today? 1st of April, 2018. Just a little check for some of you. Yes, we're in April now. Today. He is king. He is sitting as king until his enemies are made under his footstool. So often we get lost in the, in the, in the, in the crucifixion of Jesus. We, we, we get wrapped up in it and we, and our mental picture of who Jesus is, is the suffering Messiah on a cross. Because we see it often. Or the picture we have is probably from the, 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 the Jesus movies, you know? Like, like these movies, uh, and you know, he, there he is, and he's like, you know, he's always wearing this like kind of robe thing, and he's, and he's, and he's got sandals, and he's, and he's man. 
He's 100% man. He's man. He's a man. You know, he's a man walking around. He's talking. He's a man. You can see this. He's wearing clothes like a man. He's like, he's a man. Everywhere we go, he's this man. And so our image of Jesus is often framed by these stories and by all the images that we see of him on the cross. But I want you to know, people, today, Jesus is no longer on the cross. And Jesus is no longer just a mere mortal man anymore. He is the King of glory. Right now, where He sits, He sits above all authority, dominion, and power. He has the name that is above every other name. When Jesus speaks, things change. He, he has, you know, kings have authority. They have kingdoms. They have dominion. They have power. They can exercise authority. This is our Jesus. Not meek and mild and walking around in some sandals. The Jesus we serve now the, is the resurrected Christ. He is the King of glory. He is King. Why is that important? Well, it changes everything. It changes everything. You know, religious men and, 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 and prophets and, and, and good teachers, they, they say nice things. And when they say these things, we ponder them and we go, hmm, love your enemies as you would yourself. And we go, hmm, okay. Give and it will be given unto you. Hmm, okay. Bless those who curse you. Hmm, that's, 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 that one, that's a good one. But when a king speaks, <laughs> we obey. We obey. We don't choose. We don't go, hmm, where's that written in the Constitution? We don't try and like reinterpret it in some other way. When a king speaks, he speaks and we obey. And so the great, he says in Matthew 28 verse 18, what does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then what does he say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Who was speaking in that moment? King Jesus. Your king. You have a king. <laughs> if you've surrendered your life to this man, you've, you've, you've surrendered to King Jesus. He's Savior Jesus, amen, and we love him for that. But he's also Lord Jesus. He's King Jesus. And that understanding, I think, is so lacking from the church today. I want you to know that, you know, a weak church and a, and a wishy-washy church is one where we have this weak, wishy-washy picture of Jesus. But a strong, mighty, victorious church and person is someone who sees him as king, far above all the powers, far above all dominion, the one who has given me authority to trample over snakes and scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall harm me. Why? Because I serve a mighty king. And the same spirit that rose him from the dead lives in me. So I am a victorious person. So whatever I see, whether it be lack or sickness or disease or whatever, everything has to bow to King Jesus. And my revelation and my understanding of this King is key to me walking in this victory. 
Maybe you need to reshape your mind about who this Jesus is. He's not just this guy that was walking around saying cool things that maybe we would retweet and repost. <laughs> when he said, follow me, it doesn't mean like Facebook, like I'll follow you like from a distance and every now and then I'll get your updates, Jesus, when I come to church on Sunday. No, when he said, follow me, he was speaking as a king. He was saying, come be a part of my kingdom. Come under my authority. Come under my rule. Come under my reign. Come under my dominion. And then you'll experience the freedom that you desire, the victory that you desire in your life. Amen? How do you see Jesus? How do you see him? Can we just take the image of the, the suffering Christ just, just, it's good that we take time, and we did it on Friday to, to remember, but let's, that was our king that was there. <laughs> that was our king that was there. And I want you to know he's not there anymore. He went through that. He did that. He did it for us. But now he's seated in glory, amen? Let me show you a picture of this Jesus. Go with me to Revelation. Revelation, the Revelation chapter 1. Verse 12 to verse 18, I'm going to read it. It'll come up on AV as well. It says the following, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. This is the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos encountering Jesus as he is. And he said, And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to, to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That's Jesus. And <laughs> look at what a great king he is. He said, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and I am he who lives, who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of death in Hades. We serve a victorious king, people. A great king. He's worthy to be followed. He's worthy to be obeyed. He's, he's, come on, he's Jesus. It says in Revelation 19, verse 16, it says, And on his robe and on his thigh a name was written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In, in, in the Bible, we see that this, this phrase, King of Kings, was used actually by other kings. Like Artaxerxes actually called himself King of Kings. That's how he signed his letters off. And the reason why was because he was a king and he conquered other kingdoms, but he allowed them to function still as kings, like little mini kings, you know, like vassal states, kind of like, you're king, yeah, yeah, but I'm the king, yeah? You know, like have your kingship, but who the king, right? And, and so he would sign, oh, I'm the king of kings, all right? So this title was something that was actually familiar to, to people in those days, all right? And here it is being applied 
to Jesus. That he's not only just king, but the revelation that we're seeing of him is that he's king of kings. That he is above all the other kings in the world. And I got thinking, well, if he was the king of kings, what, what, what would qualify him to be king of kings? I mean, if we had to take all the kings that we've ever known or seen or read about and we had to line them up <laughs> and we had to say, okay, now which one is the king of kings? Like why, why does he get this title king of kings, the, the greatest of kings, the, the king, you know, the king? Why him? And I thought about it for a while and I, I came up with three reasons, three of my own reasons. And the first one is this, is that he would, if he was to be the king of kings, he would have to be supreme in, con- in conquest. He'd have to be supreme in conquest. What do I mean by that? Well, most kings are known for their conquests. They're known for their victories, their battles. And to be a significant king, you would have to have some significant battles won underneath you in order. David killed Goliath and he subdued the Philistines and so he was a great king in his days. You know, that we could go through Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, Charlemagne, all these, Napoleon, etc. They were all known for their conquests. And so the question I have this morning is, well, what did Jesus conquer? What did he conquer? What would make him, like all the kings are here and they've all got their conquests, they all achieved something. What was Jesus' conquest? What was his, why would he be supreme in conquest? What did he conquer? Yeah. All of that. Most of all, he conquered the human heart. You know, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? <laughs> That's what it talks about, the human heart. You know, the greatest battle, if we really think about it for this morning, the greatest battle was not Waterloo or Gettysburg or Normandy or any other location. The greatest battle is the battle in the heart. And whether it was Cain's heart who was gripped by jealousy and bitterness for his brother that caused him then to rise up and murder his brother, or whether it was Hitler's heart who got gripped by racism and pride and caused him to rise up and murder six million Jews, we could go on and on and on and on and list all the, all the, everything that we see in the world, all the murder, the strife, the corruption, the everything, it all came out of the heart. It was all a heart that was gripped by evil and unable to win over evil. It was the darkness that we see, the unseen, the, the, the unseen forces of darkness that have a way of gripping somebody's heart and causing them to, to act out in evil. And Jesus conquered these unforce, un, unseen forces of darkness and to everyone who believes in him and submits to him, he gives them a new heart. <laughs> a new heart. And he gives them the authority and the ability to conquer evil in their hearts. To walk in victory in their hearts. Has there been a greater conquest than that? <laughs> Most of you would never have heard of a, a man by the name of Jacob de Shazer. Anyway, take Jacob de Shazer. Other Jacobs we know, yeah? Jacob de Chaser. He was a, a bombardier in World War II 
who after Pearl Harbor, the Americans attacked Japan and he was attacking Japan and he was bombing Japan and his plane got shot down and he managed to bail out and parachute safely down to the ground. He landed on the ground thinking that he was okay, but he was soon surrounded by soldiers. He was captured and put in prison for years. And in prison, he suffered under the torment of his captors. They tormented him every day. They starved him. They beat him. They tortured him. He was in such a bad shape. Day after day after year after year, he was in this prison, tormented by these people. His only thought in his mind was, I am going to get out of here, and I'm going to come back to you all, and I'm going to beat you. <laughs> that was his only thought. He, all he could think of, the thing that got him through every day, was revenge and hate. He hated them. He despised them. When they came in and they would beat him, in his mind, he was looking forward to the day the stick would be in his hand. When they attempted it, then they put the gun to his head and they pulled the trigger when it was blanks and then laughed at him and walked out. He just thought, the thing that's getting him through this moment is the day that gun is in his hand. And let me tell you something, there'll be a bullet in it. <laughs> Until one day a Bible was smuggled into, the, into his prison and he began to read about King Jesus. And when he started to read the Gospels, his heart... <laughs> that was gripped by hate and, and revenge was melted like wax. Jesus conquered his heart. He left that prison cell. He was freed. He went back to the States. He got trained. And then he went back to Japan as a missionary to preach to the Japanese people about this king called Jesus. How does something... Like that happened. See, our hearts are so gripped by evil, but there's somebody who stands with such authority, with such power, at the door of our hearts and says, open up and let me in. And the darkness that is gripping you, the pain that you're experiencing, whatever you're going wrong, if you let me in, let me tell you something. It can change. And so he conquered Jacob Deshaies' heart. Turned his life around. And while he was working as a missionary in Japan, his story became known. And there was another Japanese man, Mitsuo, who was disillusioned, broken, disheartened, wanting to give up on life who heard the story about Jacob Deshazer and went and sought him out and, and sought out missionaries. And he heard the story. And he too gave his life to Jesus. Who was Matsua? Matsua was Captain Matsua. He was the very man who ordered the attack on Pearl Harbor, who shouted the famous words, Torah, Torah, Torah. Later defeated by the Americans. His heart was also conquered. 25 years later, he went to Pearl Harbor on the anniversary of the day that Pearl Harbor was destroyed. And he 
apologized and he gave a Bible to the survivors. And on the Bible were engraved the words, forgive them, they don't know what they do. His heart was also conquered. And he became a preacher of the gospel. But then, you know, there was Peter. And then there was Matthew. And then there was Saul. He was killing Christians. <laughs> who wrote three quarters of our New Testament after Jesus came into his heart. And then there was a guy called Wayne. <laughs> Rebellious, stupid young kid. And I let Jesus into my heart too. Look where I am, eh? We could go through this room. The greatest conquest was not on a battlefield where people were dying. The greatest conquest was the human heart. And it's Jesus who won that battle. Amen. Not only would he have to be supreme in conquest if he was going to be called king of kings, but secondly, he would have to be the person who has the greatest kingdom. I mean, you know, when the queen of Sheba arrived to see Solomon in all his glory, the Bible says that her breath was taken away. When she saw the servants and the riches and the, the formality of his kingdom and the abundance that was in his kingdom, her, she said she couldn't believe it. And I don't know about you, but I tried to dream of what Solomon's kingdom looked like. It must have been amazing. I also read a little bit about Babylon, the city of Babylon in, in, in its day, when it was the capital of the world. Or Rome. Can you imagine transporting yourself to Rome in the day where Rome was conquering the earth and go into Rome and, and see the, the buildings and the society and the, the wealth and whatever was there? I mean, I would love to. I'm a historian like wannabe, you know? I, I'd like love to just imagine these places. There have been some incredible kingdoms on earth. Even now, today, we have some amazing nations. In fact, if you Google most livable places <laughs> or the best cities or best nations to live in, you'll get like this grading of nations where, you know, the, the one at the top is like, it's got, you know, high life expectancies and great social services and safety and security and good infrastructure and good opportunity to live a comfortable life. And, you know, it's they, they, we have nations even now where, which are great. Where, where, man, you know, things are awesome and you can go there and you can live there and be there. But does anything compare to the kingdom that Jesus spoke about in Revelation 21? We read about it as a place where God will wipe away every tear. Death shall be no more. There will be no pain or suffering. The gates are made of pearls. The streets are paved with gold. The walls are made with precious gems. There's no need for the sun because the splendor of God illuminates the city. There's no night and there's no darkness. And it's a place where everyone reigns as kings. Don't you just want to go there? <laughs> Can we immigrate there? <laughs> that sounds pretty amazing. But get this. Jesus didn't want it just to stay up there. He wanted it to come down to earth. And wherever men obey him and follow him as king, what we see are nations that are free, happy, and prosperous as well. Is that it's not just for up there, but it's also for down here. In Matthew 4, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom. And then it says, oh, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. 
And people began bringing to him all who were sick, and whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed, or epileptic, or paralyzed, or whatever, he healed them all. His kingdom touching earth. I don't know about you, but that is the greatest kingdom. That is the place that I want to live. And so, he's supreme in conquest. He also has the greatest kingdom. But there has to be one final thing in order for him to be called the king of kings. In my opinion, he would also have to be worthy. You know, we don't want to just follow a king because he's powerful or he's got nice stuff and he does the good society. We want to follow people who are worthy. People who are worthy. People who who show us how we should be. People who, who are examples to us. We've got too many people in power and an authority who are doing pretty good things and they, they, they're really wise at their job, but their life. Do we really want to follow them? No. You know, we, 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 we love to follow captains who, are, who lead from the front, eh? You, we love to, to serve military leaders who are in the trenches with their soldiers. Presidents who fly economy, amen? <laughs> I just threw that in. <laughs> why, why does that get such attention? Because we like that in leaders. We like leaders who are with the people, who are not there in their palace and, and telling the armies, you know, go, go kill and, and conquer and, and, and money come over here and build my house. We, we, we detest leaders like that. Even though they're powerful and they have good kingdoms, we don't, they're not worthy. They're not, we don't want to follow people like that. We like leaders who are in the trenches with us, who are leading by example, who wouldn't ask of us anything that they wouldn't do themselves. That's the kind of leaders we like, amen? And when we, when we take that and we apply it to King Jesus, people, we find a perfect match. <laughs> this leader was in heaven in Philippians 2, verse 10. It says that he, he was with God in heaven and he gave it all up and came down to our mud ball and was found in the image of man. <laughs> I mean, talk about humility. Talk about coming to the people's level. <laughs> Talk about coming to, to where we at, meeting us where we at, leaving glory, which he could have stayed in, coming down out of that path into our mud bowl, being born as a human, so he's fully able to identify with us. Then the Bible says that he was tempted in every way like we're tempted. He was tested in every way like we're tested, yet without sin. He never gave in. He never gave up. He never lowered his standard. He never submitted to the enemy. We did it thousands of times before, but our leader, our captain, never did. And then, if that wasn't enough, that he came and felt what it was like to feel pain. You know, some people say, but does God really understand what I'm going through? Let me tell you something. He does. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the pressures of family. He knows the pressures of provision. He knows what it means to be hungry. And he knows what it means to feel physical pain and torment. That if that wasn't enough, then he humbled himself to the cross, being obedient to his father right unto death. And the Bible says that because he did that, God has exalted him to the highest place. Because he did 
that God has exalted him to the highest place. Because he did what? Because he humbled himself, came down to the people's level, to us, fully identified with us, knows us, and yet in all of that never compromised. Because of all of that, he is worthy of the highest place. No one in this room is. I'm not. No one's worthy to be up there. (laughs) Amen? No one. He is. Because of that, he's worthy. And if that even wasn't enough, he then led in terms of what it means to, 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 he, he defended the rights of women. He defended the rights of the poor. He looked after the sick. He, he showed what it meant to live a generous, hospitable, loving life. He is the ultimate example. He's everything that we should want to be like. He's Jesus, King Jesus. But not just Jesus, King Jesus. He's Jesus, the victorious King. He's King of Kings. He's supreme in conquest. He has the greatest kingdom, and He is the one who is worthy to be followed. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Can we just have a moment to maybe respond to to the word here? There's two applications to this word. And the first I have is, is a question for you. Is who is this Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Is he just a religious leader and a guy who said nice stuff, another prophet? There's many of them. Or is he who he said he was? Is he king? And not just king, but king of kings. And then I want to ask you this. What does that mean for how you live out your faith? What does it mean? Wise men say nice stuff. They tickle our fancies. You know, they, they, they make us ponder cool stuff. But kings are there to be obeyed, to be served, to be loved, to be worshipped, to be followed. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter I spoke about at the beginning of this message, he said, because he rose from the dead victorious, nothing we do is in vain. We go all out, he said. We go all out. He said, I'm giving my life even like a drink offering to be poured out on the sacrifice and service of your faith. He went all out. Who do we go all out for? Victorious kings. (laughs) He saw him as a victorious king. There's a scripture I want to read in closing. It'll come up on the AV screen. It's the Two Corinthians five and verse sixteen. It says, No, even though we once did estimate Christ from a human viewpoint as and as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him that we no longer that we know him no longer in terms of the flesh. 
<laughs> I want to challenge you today to say that same thing that Paul said. Even though we did see him, you know, as that man, man, and then the suffering Christ, even though we did see him as that, yet now, yet now, from this day forward, now we have such knowledge of him that we no longer know him like that anymore. We know him as who he really is right now. He's King Jesus. It's worthy to be obeyed, people. It's worthy to be followed. Are you following the king? Are you following the king? You're going all out for the king? He's a king. Is he Lord over your life? I want to challenge you. If you living a mediocre Christian life, if you've been living a life of a wishy-washy Christian where you somehow in, somehow out a little bit, I want to challenge you today. You're not following a faith or a church. You're following a king. You're following a king. So that should change everything. It should change your life in every way. I want to give you a moment just to repent this morning. If you haven't been following Him as King Jesus, why don't you just take a moment and say, Lord, I'm sorry today. I see you as you are. I haven't been treating you right. And I choose to make you my King today. I choose to make you my King today. To follow you, but really follow you to obey you, but really obey you, to go all out, to go all out, to go all out for you. You're my king. I know I don't live under this democracy and this, like, I can debate and argue. I, you're, you're the king. And you're not just a king, king of kings. So let's follow him as such.